Good morning. The second Bible reading um, comes from the book, book of Luke, chapter 18, starting at verse 35 and then continuing through to chapter 19, verse 10. Please read with me from your Bibles. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, sorry, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, some of you will know that after we had the fun of our Mazda being hijacked at knife point some months ago, um, it got written off by the naughty boys who nicked it and then it had to be replaced. So Alison got her wish for a ute 12 months earlier than we had thought. It's, uh, it's great, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Most of her ideas are good ones. And um, uh, I've never seen the engine. I've had it for a couple of months. I put it in for service. I just realized I've never looked. Um, I've no doubt it's there. Um, but sometimes it is good to che check and have a look at the engine and see what's powering this thing. And today we're going to have a look under the hood, as it were, and look at the engine that is driving Jesus. Now, many of you think, ah, oh, yeah, we know this, this is, yeah, yeah. Um, but it is one of those statements that's in one of the passages that was read for us that absolutely summarises the whole business of Jesus and therefore the whole business of his church. And it picks up ideas that are started in Genesis 3, 
picked up in Exodus, etc., etc. So this will be one of those uh, phrases. And there's a few where Jesus kind of summarises what he thinks he's on about. So it's a great blessing for us, as it were, to look under the engine, perhaps to be reminded. I do know, and I'm sorry, I want to apologise for this. In 2015, I did speak from this passage. Um, so you can tell me, you know, parts I left out afterwards. Um, but let's have a look at it. But before that, let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your son we get to see what you're like. And Father, we thank you that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, thank you, Father, that he is um, far more lovely and wonderful than we've begun to know. And we pray that you would refresh us and educate us this morning as we look at this face-to-face -face time that he has with a human just like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, four weeks in January looking at encounters people had with Jesus, face-to-face -face, uh, run-ins that people had with Jesus. Last week we looked at a broken woman who was wonderful, amazing, and Jesus was just so gracious and straightforward and honouring her. The first person that Jesus ever says, I am the Christ, is to this woman from Samaria. Today we're going to look at someone who's very successful, much more like you people sitting in the pews. Uh, this guy had set himself some goals and boy, he knew how to get it. And we can even see in this story that he is a man who thinks, this is what I want, here's how I get it, I don't care what people think. And his name is Zacchaeus. Now the problem with Zacchaeus is that we tend to think of him uh, as being small because there's a song, which I've never heard sung except uh, on YouTube. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee man or something like that. Some of you know it. Yeah. Uh, we, we tend to realize two things with Zacchaeus. One is he was short because um, it's mentioned and it's relevant and the fact that he climbed a tree because that's kind of interesting and unusual. Um, and there's a picture of him from the movie. It's the Jesus movie which is based on Luke's Gospel and is the, the most watched movie by far in human history. Hollywood doesn't talk about it when they do their most watched movies because it just humiliates them. And it doesn't count because they didn't make it. But um, it is the most watched movie by far and the most translated. And it's really quite helpful, quite accurate. That's apart from that in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus up in the tree. That's quite helpful to see the tree. Uh, some of you will have been to Jericho. The city is still there. It's had some renovations since Jesus' day. Uh, it was called the Garden City. It was a much more beautiful city then than now. It was built on a couple of, um, it was really an, an oasis, uh, just up from the Dead Sea. It's about a six hour walk from there. That's the last major town before you, the last city before you get up to Jerusalem. You know, Jesus' story, the Good Samaritan was on that, sorry, on that road from Jerusalem down to the, the City of Palms, as it was called, or the Garden City. They, they not just roses, zillions of roses, but also there were balsam trees that were grown for perfume and it was apparently a very sweet smelling place to live. Very successful, it was on a number of trade routes. It was a great place to make money. All sorts of people came through it. So it was a great place for the, the Roman government to raise taxes, which they were very good at. Uh, that was one of the reasons they had their empire, was to raise taxes. They sent huge armies to defeat countries so they could extract the wealth out of them. That's um, what empires so often do. So that's uh, Jericho, and we're told in chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He meets this guy who's up on a tree. And as I say, some of you have seen what might have been the tree Zacchaeus was in. The trees are quite old, 
and the, the, the sort of tree has got a short stump and then quite low in the, in the tree, at these very large branches go heading out. It's a good tree for an old bloke to climb. Uh, not a bad tree for kids to climb, but old blokes don't climb trees on the whole. Uh, even more so back then. But Zacchaeus was determined to get something that he wanted, so he climbed the tree. But we can, we can miss the, the real point of the story. In a sense, who cares if Zacchaeus was small, except that's what got him up in the tree. Uh, and who cares um, about what sort of tree it was? The crucial thing, according to the Bible, is not that. Let me read you what it says here in chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He was on his way to Jerusalem. From the end of chapter 9, it's helpful to know this when you read Luke's Gospel, from the end of chapter 9, we're told that Jesus has set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. So from chapter 9 all the way through to him getting to Jerusalem, which he does in the next chapter, or in later this chapter, um, he's got one thing in his mind. He needs to get to Jerusalem where he's going to die. He's going to do the great work of saving us. So when you read chapter 15, which is you know, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. It's helpful to keep him, it's, it's on the road. He's, he's, there's something big in Jesus' focus and destination. He's heading to the cross. So, likewise here, so he's got to go through Jericho. A man was then by the name of Zacchaeus, which means pure or righteous. I think his parents would have been disappointed with his choices. Uh, by the name of Zacchaeus, and this is the crucial thing to know, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So here's the crucial thing about him. He was wealthy, which is a bit ominous, because the last wealthy man we met was the rich young ruler, who was a good man, a moral man, a really outstanding citizen, but he leaves his discussion with Jesus sad. All right, he has the discussion because he cannot leave his money. And Jesus talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus is rich, very rich. He got rich by his job. He was a chief tax collector. Well, not just a tax collector, but had been a part of the system so long that he was at the absolute pinnacle of the pyramid. Now Jericho was a terrific city to be gathering taxes in. A number of roads passed and often the taxes they do on merchants was they tax you at key cities. There's a great city to be raising taxes. And uh, this is what Zacchaeus had decided to do. When you decide, now most, I don't want to spend too much time on this but because many of you will know this, when you decide to become a tax collector if you're a Jew, it is about the most terrible, disgusting thing someone can do. When the Nazis finally were driven out of France, uh, terrible things happened to the French people who had worked with the Nazis. Terrible things, and probably innocent people were caught up in it. But people hate, more than the oppressive nation that's conquered them, they hate people of their own nation who side with the bad guys. Right? This is what Zacchaeus is. He's an atter, he's a scumbag. He's a treacherous, greedy jerk. Uh, they're often um, dovetailed as tax collectors and prostitutes as the sort of outcasts in that way, in that culture. And Jesus himself uses tax collectors as examples of sinners, uh, which they very often were. This is a person who loved money. He would have known when he became a tax collector, because it was a noble profession by then, 
uh, that if he becomes a tax collector, his family will almost certainly disown him. Oh, who cares? I don't want family, I want money. He will never be allowed to go to a synagogue because they'd know him and throw him out. He would not be allowed to go to the temple. If he went because it was a big building and he was discovered, he may well be lynched. And he was not allowed to go and pray. Catching taxes nowadays is a very noble profession. So if any of you are in a good on you, I still think for many people the best thing they do with their money is pay taxes. The rest of it's wasted on trivia and etc. But that's another question. But, um, but in our country, it's a noble profession because we're taxing ourselves and paying for it ourselves, blah, 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 blah. It's very different. Right? You, you know, this church is named after Matthew. He's a tax collector. He was one of Jesus' apostles. He wasn't a chief tax collector at the very top of the pyramid. This is who we're dealing with. So he is the worst of the worst of the worst. When it comes to being lost, which Jesus talks about in verse 19, this guy was super lost uh, to the point that no, no Jewish person would even try and help him to become good because he was a lost cause. He was far beyond redemption in the way that people thought of it then. So this is who we're dealing with. doesn't matter so much that he's short. But he wants to see Jesus. This is interesting. There's some, some, something has happened inside him that he's just curious. He's not like the rich young ruler who wants to talk with Jesus and still goes away sad. He just wants to see Jesus. It's more just an interest for whatever reason. I mean, Jesus was quite a phenomenon in his day, in the tiny part of the world that he was. And it wasn't only a very tiny part of the world. But it was quite a phenomenon. So for whatever reason, he might have been a visual sort of guy who wanted to catch a glimpse of him, but he had troubles because he was short. He ran ahead, and we, we know from other times we've talked about this, a Jewish man never runs. Children run, slaves run. A grown man of any dignity never runs. He doesn't care, he runs. He's a, I think he's well past caring about what these people think of him. He, just, he knows what he wants. So he climbs up a tree. It does sound a bit like a kid. I don't think he cares. I don't think we get an indication. This is what a bloke is. If he wants something, he goes for it. Doesn't care what you think. And he wanted to be rich. And he was very, very successful at it, at a cost. But at this point, he's a bit curious about Jesus. So he goes up and he climbs up and he's in a tree. And then the word see is used three times here. He wants to see who Jesus is. Run ahead up the tree. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, he saw Zacchaeus, and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Now, that would have been quite a moment for the crowd and Zacchaeus. We don't know how Jesus knew his name. And not many names of people that Jesus interacts with and heals are recorded. Quite a few. It's interesting. And the, the work of particularly a scholar called Borkham, in, um, how do you say his name, uh, says it's almost always people who are part of the early church. That's why Bartimaeus was known by name. And Rufus and a few other people that get mentioned by name. Um, Zacchaeus is known by name. At, at this point, the name of almost certainly the most unpopular man in Jericho is said aloud on the lips of Jesus. I think Zacchaeus may well have nearly fallen out of the tree. Whether or not Jesus knew it because he was the son of God or whether or not he just heard it from some other source... He says, to, he begins to talk to him, sees him, talks to him. What does he say? Get down here, you filthy scumbag. I need to have a talk with you, get you to repent. Zacchaeus, come down immediately to command. I must stay at your house today. Uh, this must is the same must that we saw last week looking at Jesus in John 4. There's a, there's a necessity about it. 
You know, it said Jesus had to go through Samaria when he didn't, in a sense, have to, but he did because it was a divine setup. So Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I must come. Now, if I was to come up to one of you, you know, after the service, say, hey, listen, um, jump in the car with you and go home. I must come to your place for lunch. That's a little rude in our culture, I think. Not so much in that culture. Uh, for someone famous and great to honour you by saying, I'll come to your place, was a magnificent honour. Right? And I, I was told this when I was uh, living in Sydney and dealing with the Middle Eastern community and, and having discussions with Muslims there. It's far better to almost invite yourself into their house than to invite them into your house because they won't be, if they're religious, they won't be sure what you've, have you had pig in there or some other animal that they would think is unclean. They're more relaxed if you're in their house and they take it as a, as a sign of your friendship of them that you go to their place. So in, in the culture of Jesus, he's honouring Zacchaeus publicly and shocking and stunning and annoying a lot of people. Zacchaeus, we're told, is really excited. He welcomes him gladly. But all, all the people, right, all, all the hundreds of people who were travelling with Jesus and all those who'd come out to see him that caused the crowd that Zacchaeus had to climb over to see, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. This is an angry, dangerous word, mutter and murmuring, sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're disgusted by what's happened. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Right? And they use the word sinner as a serious put down. They're, they're outraged that Jesus would do this. No one should do it, certainly not a religious man. And you'll know from the Gospels, Jesus is often getting in trouble for this, isn't he? That's, that's in that he's called the friend of sinners, which for people like me is a beautiful title. I need someone who's a friend of sinners. I don't know about you. You may be, you know, you want someone who's a friend of the righteous? Good luck, go and find one. But Jesus is the friend of our sinners. And Jesus says, when he's being questioned about this by the religious people earlier on in the Gospels, he says, where do you expect to find a doctor? Right? With the sick people. Right? That's what I am. I've come as a doctor. But we tend to think, well, birds of a feather flock together. Tell me your friends. Well, I can often, you can often work out the sort of person you are. Certainly, tell me your friends and I'll tell you your destiny. That's certainly true. As the Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. No, we don't know. No, 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 no. That's why it says before it, do not be deceived. Right? Of course you can be with people who you might think, you know, need stuff. But be, just be careful with Jesus. In that culture, no, you showed, you helped people by shunning them. Because it helped them take their sin seriously. Jesus doesn't do that. He's reaching out to the lost. The verse right at the end is this verse that sort of summarises so much about Jesus. And I hope that you, you know this verse almost off by heart. Jesus says his favourite term for himself is the Son of Man. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I don't think at this point he's talking about why he came to Jericho. Right? It's a bigger statement than that. He's saying, here's, here's why the incarnation. Here's what I'm on about. I came and there's two, what they, in, in the original language they call them infinitives. They're statements of purpose. Very clear here. The purpose here, what's his purpose? To seek and to save the lost. His target is the lost. Now Zacchaeus is very clearly one of the lost. He is one of the super lost. What does a lost person look like in our culture? Well, let me mention two who, I've, who are very dear friends of mine I've mentioned in different contexts. Um, Tom. My dearest friend from when I was four, um, was a heroin addict for 17 years. His father was one of Australia's finest organists. 
but he traveled a different path. And for 17 years, he was hopelessly addicted and was doing all sorts of terrible things to sustain himself. The one that he felt that he's talked to me about the worst, but even I'm hoping to see him in a couple of weeks, he'll, um, he'll still look almost visibly pained when he thinks about the things that he did to sustain his addiction. But I know one of the things that really hurt him, he really loved his mum, he, would, he stole his mother's jewellery, which was from generations in the family, from France, and sold it for nothing, nearly, to get a hit. Relieves his pain. As soon as it's over, he feels worse than ever. What sort of person am I? So he'd need to use it again. It was a terrible cycle. He imported all sorts of stuff. Now, Tom looks lost. I mean, he looked pretty cool, but he looked lost. A guy who's just as much lost was a man called Anthony Weiss, I met Anthony at that school I served at. Uh, he was an atheist, a very impressive human being. Some of you have met him subsequently. Um, uh, Jewish by background, filthy wealthy by background, deeply conservative, believed that lying was wicked and would really deal with kids who lied, had all sorts of Christian sort of values, although he despised Christianity. Um, but he was polite about it because he was a polite guy. And I remember thinking, I don't know why I even thought this, but I mean, if I had to replace all 100 teachers at this school with just one that I had to clone. I'd clone Anthony Weiss, even though he's an atheist, because he loved the kids. He was a great teacher. He was not frightened of rich parents because he himself was rich, etc. It was just fantastic. Uh, but Anthony was as lost as Tom, although he's a huge asset in many places. But he was a lost. He had no idea who he was. He had no idea why he was here. He had no idea where he was going. And the word lost has that sense um, we use the phrase, he doesn't even know what day it is, you know. And he was like that. But it also has a sense of being destroyed slowly, like terribly fast-acting decay. So very successful, but hopelessly lost. And I don't know if I should say this or not. Please tell me afterwards if I shouldn't. I'll tell you another person who's lost. As lost as Tom was, the Dalai Lama is lost. Has not got a clue who he is. Why he's here? What happens to him after death? He's completely wrong on that. Right? He's a very impressive man in some ways. Look, he's a terrifically deep scholar of historic Buddhism and, a, and does a difficult job well leading his people. But he has utterly and totally lost as much as you may see someone in the next couple of days who's obviously lost. The Dalai Lama is just as lost. Right? This is what it is to be lost. You just do not, you don't appreciate Christ. You don't, you don't know why he came. You can do life without him, like Antony could, but he couldn't. Jesus says, I came for the lost. I'm going to seek them, and I'm going to save them. So let's have a look at him seeking. He seeks him by going under the tree and saying, come on, Daniel, come. I'm going to have dinner with you. I just happened to have a picture. Someone had their iPhone there, and they took this picture. Jesus and Zacchaeus. No, no, just kidding. But, um, uh, but they spent some, we don't know how long they spent we don't know what was said but Jesus came he invited himself as a huge act of grace and sat with him and ate in our culture you can eat with your enemies I've, done, I've eaten with people who I know don't like me and I know are actually seeking to undermine stuff that I'm trying to push you but we can do that in our culture you can have dinners with enemies in that culture you did not you only ate with people who you were saying I welcome you into my family I respect you 
Jesus does that with people. He, he has dinner with Zacchaeus. He was lost. He's curious, but not thirsty. Just wants to have a look. Look at how Jesus summarizes this story. We'll get through some of the details again. At the end of it all, Jesus says, verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you don't go, yes, you may not know Christ yet. If you go, I don't like this talk about lostness and saved and seeking and that sort of stuff. Well, Jesus does. You you may know how to serve humankind better than Jesus, but you can't really call yourself a Christian unless you go, yes. Likewise, in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Again and again, Jesus defines his purpose and we're his disciples, so we listen to his purpose, that's the big deal as to come and do something wonderful for us and wonderful and unexpected to save. That's what you see from the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, stupid, high-handed rebellion. They knew exactly what they should do and they did the opposite. What do they do? Well, they're like the rest of us, stupid, really. We did dumb stuff. They try and hide from God. Good idea. Like a kid going, I, I can't see you, so you can't see me. I'm hiding behind a tree. It's a, yeah. And God calls them out. That beautiful invitation, Adam, where are you? We'll have this conversation. Adam is not seeking God. As the scripture say under the fences, no person seeks for God. It is God who seeks for us. Adam does, imagine what happened if Adam and Eve sinned and they, they immediately faced what they did and cried out from her. Who knows what they have, the story would have been different. It would have been similar in some parts, but they didn't, they hid. And God is seeking them. Abraham is not looking for God. God goes to Abraham. This is what God does. He seeks and he saves. What happens when someone like Zacchaeus, and many of you have had this experience, is that for some strange reason, you begin to get interested in the things of God. That Even if you don't admit it on the outside, which I've known people who've been, God's been working on them for decades, but they never showed any sign of it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing a person towards the light. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Zacchaeus' interest, and it's only interest, is because God has been at work. What's that we sing in the Amazing Grace? It was grace, it was your loving kindness. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. That's where God wants to get to. He wants to relieve your fears, but often you have to trouble us early. That's what, he, that's what he's doing to Zacchaeus. He's seeking him. Do you remember it back uh, almost two years ago now? There's a little kid called A.J., he had a number of um, sort of special life struggles. He lived with only about four or five, and he went missing in the bush. He was missing for three nights. That's about as long as you've got in the Australian bush. And it was being covered by the BBC and by some Americans. It was, a, it was big news. This little kid um, out in the bush. And after, they just, everyone dropped everything. The police were coming from everywhere. All sorts of helpers were coming to try and find this little kid. Three nights. Lost on Friday, they found him on Monday. Yeah, that's three nights, good. Um, the, the unspeakable joy in people who didn't even know him, right? 
but of course with the family, that the little lost kid had been found, that was seeking him. It's a very energetic word. It's saying that's what God is doing. He's seeking lost people. That's what he's doing here with um, Zacchaeus. He's seeking him. God is seeking him. God is looking for him uh, and he, in, in order that he might save. Well, let's look at this business of being saved briefly. Let me give you an example of being saved. Uh, some of you who were here at a Christmas service a couple of years ago may have seen these before. This is the gut of our dog, Ricky, Ricky but Wonder Dog. Okay? And the crucial thing to notice with the x-ray is this. See that there? Can you see that? That's not his liver. Right? That's a hook that I fed him, right? as any good dog owner would. I'd done a talk explaining to people how you fish properly. I was very tired, was busy, and I just came back with a couple of um, prawn. One of them, with exactly as I'd done, how to hide the, the hook and the prawn, and I'm just feeding them away to Ricky, and suddenly I heard this clink, which was the, the little circle at the end of the hook on his back tooth, and I oh my goodness. I said to him, I said, oh, so I just need to go outside and make a phone call, which I don't normally do. Said, okay. I went out and rang a friend of mine. His wife was a vet. She rang me back. Fortunately, she has a, I'm not going to do an ad for it, but she had an emergency hospital for veterinary thing in Fishwick that's now near the airport. Uh, and she said, yes, that will kill the dog. But I said, he looks fine, happy as Larry. She said, it'll kill him. Because when it starts to go through the intestines, it gets thinner. It'll catch, it'll rip, uh, and then stuff that, shouldn't get out of the intestine or get out of the intestine. He'll get infected and die a slow, painful death. So she said, take him to my surgery. So I did. She gave us mates rates. So it only cost $1,400 to get the hook taken out. Now, we, when we got the dog, we thought, hang on, this is a world full of terrible need, starvation. I imagine having 1400 bucks to do a lot of good right, in some of the Aboriginal settlements in Australia. But... We were very clear, we're not going to spend lots of money on this dog. But I figure if you feed the flippant hook to the dog, you owe it to the dog to get it out. <laughs> so um, uh, we did say to him, if he, if, he, if he passes out, you know, don't do extraordinary, you know, things. For which they pulled us in and said, don't you love this dog? We said, yeah, yeah, but anyone won't the story. We just... Uh, anyhow, just to make it clear, because I've only told the story once before and people didn't know if the dog lived or not. That was him with his necklace that they give you after it. And that was him yesterday down at the river. So he is okay. But that was a dead dog walking. If you'd seen Ricky on that day, and when we got him out of the car, when he bounced out of the car and went into the veterinary surgery talking to everyone there, he was as happy as Larry. He was dead. Just a question of time. He needed to be saved from the results, not of his foolishness, but of someone else's. A person may look fantastic on the outside. They may be fairly cheerful. They've got enough money to buy the appropriate drugs, legal drugs, and have various little schemes. They haven't got to the top of the mountain to realise that there's nothing at the top of the mountain. But they need to be saved. That's why Jesus comes. This man needs to be saved. Tom needed to be saved. Anthony needed to be saved. If you haven't been saved, you need to be saved. Your friends need to be saved. Yes, dare to face the reality about our friends and family. I think sometimes as Christians we don't because it hurts doesn't it? It hurts. The people that we really care about are in trouble. So we pretend they're not in trouble. We revise our theology. No, 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 no. No. 
If you're not trusting in Christ, not following Christ, you are in terrible danger. People need to be sought and say, that's why Jesus comes. That's why he says he comes. It's hard to, to let God save you because it, you need to admit that although you've been a magnificent success in so many areas, in the most important area that will last forever, you're in terrible need. You're just like Ricky was, right? Only you swallowed the hook because you nicked it from somewhere it shouldn't have been. So Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he's doing here. He's seeking Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is just interested. Jesus is committed. Jesus is going for him. He calls him down. They spend time and the grace of God saves him. How do we know that? That's obvious, isn't it? Um, Let me read you the proof that Jesus sees. People began to grumble and say he's going to be the guest of a sinner. He's, He's going to transform the sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now just imagine you saying that, okay? You got it? Whatever you got, your possessions, all your investment portfolio, and not just the money in your bank account, but all the other resources that we've all got, or I shouldn't say all, because many of us don't, but some of us have. I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated, if I've cheated anybody, yeah, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Here's the way the Romans did it. They'd take a city like Jericho and they'd say, from the city of Jericho, we want X number of drachmas or whatever. And it would have been a huge amount because you know, we might complain about our government taxing. No, no, the Romans were much better than we are. You would then buy that area. You'd say, I, will, I guarantee you will give you X number of drachmas. And that was your job. They'd give you Roman soldiers to help you rough up people and keep you safe from people who want to kill you. But then whatever money you made above that was yours. So when it says Zacchaeus was rich, he got it, it was blood money out of his own people. It was filthy lucre. Not all lucre is filthy lucre. This was filthy money. And he says he's gone from being, his God was money. That was his God. He was happy to be a traitor because of his God, money. Suddenly it's reversed. He's had an encounter with Christ. He's, he's met grace. And he's been, he's been transformed. <laughs> but why does he say, I'll pay them back four times? Those of you who know the Bible will know, hang on, hang on, hang on. If you got caught stealing, you had to repay the money. You didn't go to prison yet, but repay the money. Plus 20% for nicking that from someone. Plus 20%. He's saying plus 400%. And you might be good at maths, but you can pick there's a substantial difference, particularly if it's coming out of your account. That comes from Exodus 22. And it's quoted by Nathan the prophet when he talks to David when he's stolen another man's wife and murdered the man. And he says four times. You have to pay back in Exodus 22 four times the amount if you'd stolen it through violence and deliberate corruption. He has chosen to go to the most possible expensive repayment to say sorry for what I've done to you. He chose to do it. There's nothing here that's nowhere in the Bible that suggests that Jesus says that's what you should do. But he is saying, I really want to reverse what I've done. I really want to undo the pain that I've caused. I want to walk with Christ. I want to be a lover of humankind and not a hater and a user. 
So he goes to four times. I take it that's why he only gives away half his money because he's got to keep some to pay back all the people he's ripped off. I take it that's also why he doesn't go with Jesus to Jerusalem, whereas Bartimaeus, who he healed there, the blind man, goes with Jesus. Zacchaeus is going to follow Christ by cleaning up some of the mess that he's left, and then he may well catch up. So he's been saved. Jesus says he's been saved. He does that, and Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. That's why I came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, let's bring this to an end, shall we? He's on his way to Jerusalem. And one of the things people notice when they hear the story of Jesus read for the first time, which they sometimes do in Simply Christianity, is you ask them what they notice. And what they often notice is that whether it's the Jewish rulers, the good men and women, or whether it's the criminal next to Jesus on the cross, they're all saying the same thing. Luke 23, 35, Jesus is on the cross saving people. The people and the rulers sneered at Jesus and said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Later on in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And of course he can't, can he? He cannot save us and himself. Someone has to pay for sin. Someone has to die for the cleansing, and that's him. And it's in this context that Jesus is saying, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus, he says, is saved. Because when you meet, you can meet Jesus and be unchanged. I heard someone say, use this phrase, which made sense, and then I thought afterwards, someone, that's not right. If you encounter Jesus, you'll be changed. I get what they mean. But the rich young ruler encountered Jesus and was not changed, at least not in any useful way. He went away the same as he came, only sadder, perhaps. This guy meets Jesus. Sometimes you can meet Jesus and be utterly transformed. This guy is, in a way that perhaps some of us, even in this church, would tell him to calm down and to be a little more responsible with his money. He's not asking, what's the lowest level I can give and still call myself Christian? He's chosen to go to the most ridiculous, uh, superfluous generosity and to pay back. That's what he's doing. So Jesus says he's been saved. He's clearly a new man. He's He's got a new God. Money was his God. Security was his God. The freedom that money gives you was his God. He's got a new one. Let me read you what Martin Luther says. Because real experience of the grace of God and faith in Jesus transforms you. Let me, this is from one of Luther's earliest writings. He says this. Faith is God's work in us that changes us and, makes, and gives us new birth from God. It kills the old Adam and makes us completely different people. It changes our hearts, our spirits, our thoughts and all our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, faith is a living, creative, active and powerful thing. This faith, faith cannot help doing... Listen, this is, this is Zacchaeus. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done. But before anyone can ask, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. This is what faith, you know, you have have an experience of God's grace and you you therefore trust him as you do in Jesus. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace. So certain of God's favour that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. 
The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise God, who has shown you such grace. Thus, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from the fire. This is what's happened. This is why Jesus can look at this bloke and say, he's a changed man. Salvation has come. He has a new God. Instead of being obsessed with more and more and more, he's giving, 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 giving and following Christ. He's a new man. It's wonderful. And I just want to suggest again as Christians, we need to remember this is who we serve. This gracious God who looks for terribly greedy people and can transform them in a moment. Although normally the Holy Spirit's been working for decades. Certainly when Tom and Anthony became Christians, and both of them did, and frankly, it's shock, I think I've shared before, every now and then when I'm talking with Tom or Anthony about Jesus and we're praying about something, I expect them to slap me across the head and say, I'm only kidding, I'm not really saved. That would make more sense to me. It is so hard, having known the pits that Tom got himself into and the almost mountain of perfection that Anthony lived on without God, um, to see both men know that they had to be sought and saved. And the fact that God can seek and save, and he does, the least likely people. So to remain grateful that God has got a great, big, overly generous heart, he loves to seek and to save the proudest and the most broken. We put that poster up again, just to remind you, one of the things, one of the two things we're suggesting we as a church look at this year is the soap thing, the regularly journaling, which we'll come back to uh, later in the service, but also to, to choose a person or two and to pray that God may even use you to play a part in them being a Zacchaeus or a Bartimaeus or a Thomas or an Anthony or whoever, or, or you. Frankly, some of us have got extraordinary backgrounds uh, before Christ won us. But to pray and perhaps to share with your, if you've got a marriage partner or you've got a friend, share, who, who am I praying for? Why don't you pray with me? And perhaps in your life group, share who are you praying for, right? that God would save them. And God may even use you or me or all sorts of odd people to be part. Because here's what we can do. We can't save anyone. We all know that. But I think we can probably seek, can't we? Right? We can walk in the steps of Jesus and do what we can just to seek to help people, especially by praying and being ready to talk when that's appropriate. All right. I know you want me to go longer, but we won't. Uh, that's, uh, that's the successful man. Next week we have a special guest preacher and he'll be speaking on, I've forgotten, the other one, the next one. It'll be good. And now let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that when we walk away from you and we use our brains as a weapon to avoid you rather than seeking the truth, that you seek for us. Thank you for those who loved us when we were far from you, those perhaps who decades before uh, sowed truth into our hearts uh, in Sunday school or other places, school scripture. And we thank you, Father, that you are the God who seeks and saves. Thank you that you sent your son, your only son, your beloved son, to this terribly broken little world to die for us and save us. And we do pray, Father, that you would use us as a community and even us as individuals to play our little part in seeking and saving those who are lost. We make ourselves available to you, Lord Jesus, and pray you take us and use us. We pray this in your name. Amen.